Hello and welcome to another edition of Storytelling on Orchard Street. I'm your host, Pete Salamita. We're in the P&T Knitwear Bookstore Podcast Studio at 180 Orchard Street. Uh, it's a bookstore filled with books, <laughs> as it should be. Uh, there's a cafe. You can grab yourself a hot chocolate or something. And there's events here on the regular, so um, check it out here. Uh, today's guest, his name is Sparrow. Uh, Sparrow lives in a trailer in the snowbound hamlet of Phoenicia, New York, with his wife, Violet Snow. He has published 11 books, including Small Happiness and Other Epiphanies, Monkfish, and The Princeton Diary on Bio. His poems and essays have appeared in The New Yorker, The New York Times, The Sun, and Reptiles of the Mind. Each month, Sparrow writes an art review for Chronogram. He is currently running for president for the ninth time. Sparrow plays slide flute in a temp- temptuous pop group, The Truffles. So, um... Welcome to the studio, Sparrow. Oh, thank you. It's my honor to be here. And you gave um, your socials. You want me to read them? Sure. So Facebook, Facebook also. Yeah. Facebook is uh, Facebook <laughs> is Sparrow X uh, Carter. There's a period after X. And on Twitter, it's at Sparrow fourteen. And Instagram, uh, Sparrow X period Carter. K okay C A R T E R, and. Um, and well, let's get the show going. So okay. um, you gave me a lot of information to uh, discuss. Um, we have a lot of topics that you uh, would like to go over. Um, you got your poetry here, which of mm. course we want you to read. Oh, thanks. Um, but maybe before we get to all that, uh, we can talk a little bit about how Sparrow became Sparrow the poet. Um, uh, are you a lifelong New Yorker, or are you from someplace else? <laughs> <laughs> I am from Manhattan. I'm okay. from uh, Inwood on the very, from the very northern neighborhood in Manhattan. I mean, I lived actually till I was four in the far west village um, uh, on Horatio Street. And apparently I lived right next door to the building James Baldwin lived in. Huh. I'm not sure if he was there exactly when I was there, but I was there from, you know, when I was born in 53. Okay to probably 58. When I was four, I moved up to uptown to a housing project, middle-income housing project on Dykeman Street in, uh, you know, in Inwood, and uh, though my address was on 10th Avenue. Okay. So I grew up there, and then I, uh, when I was 17, I went off to Cornell University. I uh, flunked out after two years. What were you studying? I was a biology major, wow. which is kind of why I flunked out. And uh, I uh, ended up, my girlfriend wanted to move to uh, Arizona, so we hitchhiked to her parents' house in uh, Madeira Beach, Florida, and we ended up moving to Florida. And, uh, and I stayed in Florida for four years and kind of slowly went back to college. Then I moved back here in 78, kind of in the kind of in the midst of the punk world. Right. And I was named Sparrow. Everybody was a punk. It was a embarrassing. <laughs> I actually stopped calling myself Sparrow. I was so ashamed. Where, where did the name Sparrow come from? So it, um, there was, an, whatever my real name is, let's say it's Herbert, you okay. know. 
There was another guy who came to my natural food store. I worked in a natural food store in Gainesville. Okay. Uh, Mother Earth and uh, another a typ- Herbert. A typical name for a yeah. natural food store. And uh, uh, this other guy with my name came to work at the store. And back then, you know, natural food stores were tiny. You sure. know, Not like today where right, right. You, you can't find the bathroom, you know. Right. Mm. So... Um, you had to choose another name. So there were like two of us, and <laughs> right. you know, someone would call out Herbert, and we'd both run up to the front. Right. And so I, you know, I could have become Herb. Not right. that my name is Herbert. Right. And uh, <laughs> and so then but I if went. It was. Yeah, but then uh, well, it's still my legal name, whatever my legal name is. And uh, I mean, you can look up my Wikipedia page; it gives away my real name. So uh, for some reason that I don't understand, I have a uh-huh. Wikipedia page. Right. And um, so I, uh, I went to my friend, Jennifer, the Princess of Love, and I said, I need a name. And she said, you be Sparrow. You look like a sparrow. Like okay. in one second, she named me. Great. And it stuck. Yeah, more or less stuck. I mean, you know, after I came back to New York and was sort of ashamed of it, I went back to it after a few. Well, I found that I couldn't write you know, uh, poems under my name, you know, Herman Bernstein or whatever my real name is, you know, I just felt I was like shaming my family, which I was actually. (laughs) Why is that? They're not poetry fans or not fans of your poetry? (laughs) Yeah. I I would say more the latter, really. I mean, you know, my dad just died. Oh, sorry, yeah. And by the end of my, the end of his life, uh, he actually was kind kind of a fan of my uh, writing, but uh, there was even a period where he started writing these sparrow esque. He was 104. My wow, dad, he just died. Cow. Like when uh, you said, he just died. I was like, really? Yeah, I know. I just became <laughs> it's amazing. An, I became an orphan at the age of 70. <laughs> so just you know, a month ago, right. I'm still you know dealing with it. Right. So yeah, well, there's a period about six months ago he started writing these like sparrow esque writings you know he wrote one of the things he wrote is like <laughs> he said to me like uh, uh, there's a hundred uh, Russian guards outside the the Tsar's palace okay. and and they're all saying quiet quiet the Tsar is sleeping and then there's a hundred Hasids outside the Rebbe's uh, study and they're all saying in Yiddish, but I don't know mm-hmm. the Yiddish That's well okay. enough. They're yeah. all saying, quiet, quiet, the Rebbe is sleeping. Wow. I was like, what that is, is that? That is kind of like what I've read of your poetry. Yeah, yeah. It's a weirdly, <laughs> he was awesome. like, my dad was influenced by me. That's great. Weird, right? I mean, weird right. that you live long enough that right. like your father who thinks you're a bum. And for, luckily he lived long enough to finally catch up with you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think when everyone gets to around 102, they start to understand my poetry. Right. It's kind of a natural Well, I understand process. your poetry. But oh, I'm not, really? I'm not, I'm not near 102. Okay, good. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, you know, except for rare people like you. Um, and what about your mom? What did she think of it? My mom was always saying, uh, whatever my name is, Herbert is famous for being famous. She loved to say that. Mm-hmm. She seemed to think I was kind of a con artist. Maybe. Okay. <laughs> well, you know, that there, there was a little bit of that going on in the poetry community. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, you know, to some extent, I was just thinking of this because I was walking here, that the last time I was in the New York Times, which was quite a long time ago, okay. they referred to me as performance artist Sparrow. All right. So maybe. How did you feel about that? 
I thought it was kind of weird. Uh, I mean, I don't think of myself as a performance artist, but uh, maybe I am a performance artist. And a performance artist is a lot like a, a kind of con artist. You know, it's like someone who has no talent gets up there. Like, I'm going to sing some of my songs later, perhaps. And right. there's a little of that in uh, my right. uh, music, right. as you know, because yes. you've seen Truffles, my band. Yes, and I had a good time. Uh, Thank you. I guess you liked it if you invited yeah. me here. But, I mean, there is a little bit of me having no musical talent, right. not being able to sing, and doing it anyway. Right. And then playing uh, the the uh, tonette on top of it. I brought all my instruments with me. I got, I got to tell you, um, the guitarist that played with me that night, Fred Ogenzio. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he's a big fan of yours. <laughs> I know, yeah, he told me, yeah. Yeah, he was really glad to hear um, um I'm having you on the uh, podcast. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah, he's a very sweet guy. It seemed a, to he's me. He's a great guy. He is. Yeah. He, he, uh, yeah, because I write for this, as you said in my credentials, I write for this magazine, The Sun. In, right. a, in a sense, it's what I've done with my life. I started writing for them in 18, in 18, 18. 1881. <laughs> I mean, right. 1981. Right. And so that is, what is that, 40, 42 yeah. years? Yeah. 40, so, almost 43, right? Yeah, 43. Well, yeah, it was late in the year. Okay. okay. Yeah. But, uh, so, you know, and I've just consistently, I'm their longest running writer. I'm there. Wow. I've published the most mm -hmm. pieces with them of right. anybody. And then they started paying well. Oh, cool. Like maybe 20 years ago, 15 oh, years ago. Nice. They suddenly started paying. So the last piece that I published, which was my guide to business, mm. my, my nephew, Ben, said to me, why don't you, he was reading a bunch of business books. You know how people read these books about business? Right. I tried that. It didn't work too good for me. <laughs> you mean what I mean? Reading them? And like, Reading business books. <laughs> it didn't help you with business? No, I, I'm not a business-minded person. I tried, but I'm not. Yeah. I mean, I look at them in bookstores, kind of flip through them. But anyway, you know, Ben said to me, why don't you write one? So I wrote one. <laughs> right. I mean, I haven't published it as a book, but right. it, got, it published, got published in The Sun. My right. point is I made $2,250 oh. from that excerpt of my non-existent business advice book. That's not a bad deal. So, I mean, that's, how, that's the most they ever paid me. But, the, you know, right. that's a, a lot of money to me, a lot sure. of money. I live uh -huh. upstate, as uh -huh. you know, and... Right. Uh, you know, um, I own, you know, really my in-laws, I shouldn't say this publicly, my in-laws bought us this double-wide trailer. It's uh -huh. a double-wide trailer, not cool. just a trailer. Right. I, I like to say trailer. Right. I'm not, I wanted to say trailer makes me sound more so, so that means proletarian. It, has, it means it has twice the amount of room. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of room. Okay, cool. If you're used to living in New York. Right. So anyway, I, to answer your question, I've lived 35 years in Manhattan, right. maybe about a half a year or a year in Brooklyn. Uh -huh. So now that's half my life. I'm 70, so about right. I'm half here, half uh, my life elsewhere. Right. But I feel like a New Yorker. I come here a lot. And, you know... I love New York. All my friends that are old that live upstate are like, oh, New York isn't New York anymore. Right. It's whatever. It's right. old, you know, whatever you call it. But don't you, you think they it. said that like 40 years ago? Some, I think they said that in the, in the 1840s. Right. You know? I mean, that's, <laughs> right. that's, that's New York. Of, right, it's part of New York. Yeah, it's right. the, if you don't like the fact that things change, then right. uh, move somewhere else. Right. In fact, where I chain, where I live in Phoenicia, so my friend of mine, my Phoenician friend, Tommy, gave me a postcard of Phoenicia in 1903. And my God, it looks the same. Right. I mean, there is a gas station, you know. Sure. Tragically, right. they put in a gas station in the last hundred years. But other than that, it pretty much hasn't changed. Right. And even, you know, psychically, it doesn't change Well, I much. think one major change in, 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 New, in Manhattan and Brooklyn even. I mean, I moved into Brooklyn in 1979. Oh, yeah. Um, if I didn't... 
uh, wasn't able to purchase a house in 99. I don't know if I'd be in Brooklyn anymore. It's ridiculous how expensive. Yeah. So from that point of view, some of the changes are nice. Some of them are too, st- like Manhattan has become kind of sterile and, mm. and Disneyfied in some parts of the town. And st- I don't know. It's really for the rich people. <laughs> really, really. Mm. And it always was, but now it's it's pretty stark. Mm-hmm. I, the, I mean, down here, I mean, we're in the Lower East Side. I mean, there's restaurants that have $40 uh, entrees. You know? Right, right, right. That wasn't like that when I was in bands playing around here on Ludlow Street. Oh, is that right? You're from that scene? Uh, a little bit. You know, I, I played, I, I was a drummer. I played in bands and we played around, yeah. Oh, yeah. Ludlow Street was the scene for a while. Yeah. Like in the 90s, I'd say. Exactly. Yeah, I lived in the East Village from uh, 88 to 98. So I was, you know, kind of in the downtown world right at that time before that i basically lived uh, way uptown i had lived in washington heights in the uh, 80s so you know i was part of that whatever 90s world of the east village mm-hmm. which was you know i guess some people are nostalgic about it it was right. fun for me i'll tell you that right but i still go to free stuff like i go to you know i'm sort of broke in a certain way and uh I just find free things. You know, one good thing about the modern world that you go on the internet and you find out what's free that night. And uh, a lot of stand-up comedy is still free, and uh, right. that's what I'm interested in. I'm sort of sick oh. of poetry. Right. Okay. So you yeah. don't you don't tend to go to poetry events unless you're invited to. Yeah. I mean, or... I you know maybe once a year I go to something. Mm-hmm. I get okay. kind of dragged. Right. I mean, I got dragged to the Parkside Lounge okay. right around here sure. about uh, three weeks ago, two uh, weeks okay. ago. And I did end up reading. I mean, right. it was an open reading, and I got in, in time to put my name on, and right. you know, I got to sing a song. Well, that series is over now. Exactly. That was the end. That was uh, the whatever You went to series, the last one? Yeah. What was it called? Uh, uh, Great Weather for Media. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and everybody was there, like the whole crowd, that mm-hmm. whole world, Puma right. Pearl. right. You know, whatever you call it, all those sort of downtown, the modern version of the downtown type poets, some of whom are from New Jersey, Pennsylvania. Right. <laughs> mm. So you said um, you uh, studied biology and then uh, dropped out. Did you flunked ever, out? A uh, flunked out. Um, did you ever study writing or poetry? or that, uh, um, Well, I did kind of study it. Uh, I took. I think I took a course. So I ended up going to um, uh, community college in Gainesville, Florida, and uh, Santa Fe Community College, named after the Santa Fe River in uh, North Florida. And uh, I think I maybe took took an English class where maybe we did a little writing. I Mm -hmm. met that guy, Philip Levine, uh, there. I was at a workshop with him, I think. and uh, and then I went to the Naropa Institute in 76, and then again in 85. So I studied with Allen Ginsberg, oh, wow. uh, William Burroughs. Wow, that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Philip Whalen. Right. And, uh, and then in 85, again, I studied with uh, Whalen, I think, and maybe also Ginsberg. Okay, well, that's Yeah, studying. so I did. That's and then I went to, uh, <laughs> come to think of it, I came back here, went to Empire State College, which is uh, independent study college, but it's run by the state. Mm-hmm. And it's actually Spider-Man's college. Spider-Man goes to Empire State College. No I kidding. mean, I don't think it's the same college I went to, but it has right. the same name. Get right. His has a campus. You know? Right. I don't know if he still goes to it, but I think in some version of there's <laughs> right. like five different storylines of Spider-Man, and he might still go to it in one of them. Right. 
But uh, so I went to Empire State. And then I got a degree. Ultimately, it was called writing. And then I got a master's from uh, City College in I'm MA, not an MFA, in creative writing. And I studied with Ted Berrigan there. So, I, you know, I studied with, and then later I studied at a workshop with Alice Notley. All right. Well, you so, did a lot of studying then. Yeah. Yeah. I, brought, <laughs> yeah, I was recently of, calculated like how many years of my life I was in school, you know, uh-huh. something like 30? No. Wow. Something okay. like that. Well, you know, you yeah. go to 12 years just for being a human being. True. Right. Just to get started. And then, you know, and then I went very unless slowly. You're tr- unless you're a real failure. Yeah, I know. Well, if only I, I tried to run away to Cleveland with my oh. friend Matthew Flam it, in high school, but he said, well, let me go home and think about it, which is always a bad sign. <laughs> right, right. So, That's something you have to do on the spur of the moment. Exactly. You can't do too much thinking about it. Yeah. And, I mean, of course, the next day he changed his mind. Oh, yeah, right. But uh, what is my point that um, I, uh, yeah, so I, then it? I went to very slowly to college. It took me maybe about 10 years to, okay. to get my bachelor's degree because right. I started going part-time. I realized that's what I want to do right. and still kind of want to do to the extent that I want to do anything is uh, go part-time. Like the idea that you take five courses in one semester, like right. who the hell can learn that I know. amount of stuff? It's that's ridiculous. Yeah, it's, right. it's, it's, it's not education. Right. I don't think. Right. I don't right. know. What, it's more like some kind of endurance of test. Yeah, right. Particularly at Cornell where they literally are very happy to flunk you out. I think even now, but back then they were very excited about flunking people out so did you make a living uh from from writing and poetry um, or did you have other n- careers in the in the no i didn't make a, i mean lately i've kind of because my expenses are so low and my wife is so nice i have you know sort of made a living and also right. i'm a little bit of a journalist so okay. every month i said that in my bio i write for chronogram so I, you know, I get a little money. I'm sort of a paid art critic in a certain sense, which is, you right. know, what can be better than that? Yeah. I call myself the foremost avant-garde art critic of the Hudson Valley. Okay. Maybe the only. <laughs> right. But certainly the foremost. It's a title. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I mean, basically I did two things with my life after I stopped working at Mother Earth. I, uh, well, my dad was in the field, what's now called developmental disability. You know, maybe you think of it as mental retardation. Mm -hmm. So my dad was a blacklisted communist and he couldn't work as a machinist anymore because of the, he had to sign a loyalty oath. And if you're a communist, you can't sign a loyalty oath because either you'll, if you sign it, you can go to jail for perjury. And if you don't sign it, you don't get the job. So it's kind of a double bind type deal. So he found the one job you can do where they, you don't have to sign a loyalty oath, which was you know working with these developmentally disabled people. So he went into that field, mm-hmm. and his whole life he was in it. And uh, I'm just writing his obituary. I was just telling you he just died at 104 right. about a month ago. Well, so, okay, I didn't know that's yeah yeah recent. quite recently. Right. Okay. So then when I came back to New York, he's like, "Well, do you want to consider working in this area?" And I was like, "Yeah, I want to consider it." So right. I volunteered a little bit at group homes, right. and I kind of liked it, and then. I did that for, you know, roughly 18 years, oh, pretty okay. much the whole time I was here till 98. I, my wife forced me to move out of the bliss of the East Village okay. up to uh, the Catskills. And uh-huh. so I did that pretty much for that 20 years, 88 right. to, to 98. Okay. And then, uh, no, really from like 78. Yeah, 78 when I first moved back here till about 98. And then I... Uh, 
then when I moved upstate, I kind of couldn't stay in that business because I don't drive. Right. I never learned to drive. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's tough, um, that it's tough much to be up a, there without driving. Yeah. yeah. It's, you know, it's hard to work at these group homes in the middle of nowhere, and they wanted me to do the night shift. Right. I had a young kid. It just mm-hmm. didn't seem... Right. Mm. So then I became a substitute teacher. Oh, okay. So, you know, I've worked part-time. And what just, subjects? Anything. Oh, okay. Whatever. You know, I yeah, even yeah. did, like, you know, nursery school or whatever you call it, kindergarten, right. I guess. Oh, okay. I mean, but mostly I ended up in the high school and junior high school. Right. And I was very beloved, like, you know, I'm still remembered by, and I ended up being like a poet teacher. I ended up reading my poems to the students, Uh which I don't know if they even liked my poems. They just thought I was a nut. (laughs) And, you know, they- But a a lovable nut. Exactly. Well, I mean, not everyone loved me. I think the girls tended to think I was kind of a creep. But (laughs) but a lot of the boys, the really smart boys and the really stupid boys, both really liked me. And so, you know, I was, and I, and I was terrible at discipline. So that's another, a main reason I was loved, I think. Right. Yes, that'll do. <laughs> it was chaos. <laughs> you know, it, it, there were different levels of chaos. Eventually it kind of calmed down. I got busted eventually. Like they bust, I, they realized, even though this administration was so out to lunch, it took them a few years to realize how terrible I was as a substitute teacher. So <laughs> then they like busted me down to assistant teacher, right. then down to hall monitor, oh, no. then down to bus monitor. Whoa. That was like the lowest I right. went. Wow. And yeah. then I, I somehow, you know, I was too tenacious. I refused to give <laughs> up. So, you know, they, I guess they admire that in the rural world. You know? right. So I, then I worked my way slowly back up. And then there, eventually I was the uh, mostly worked for this hygiene or whatever it's now called, health or something. Right. Yeah, yeah health teacher and right. she had these beanbag chairs she was on the second floor of the high school so second floor is a little less pressured you know okay plus she had the beanbag chairs plus right. she showed videos right like everybody it was impossible for them to be chaotic in this circum you know they right. were like drugged by these beanbag chairs yeah it's hard to, yeah and by it's, then i was sort of famous in the school it's hard to get up from them <laughs> yeah it's hard to like you know pull someone's pigtail <laughs> right <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. I mean, the worst thing that happened to me is one time, I'd say this now, there maybe there were two worst things that happened. There might have been the same actual class where this guy came up to me, one of these guys who looks like he's 35 years old, even though he's a senior in high school. And he slapped me on the back like, hey, Sparrow, you're a good dude. Huh. And then I started to think like, slapped me on the back. Right. Like, that is not a usual thing. You know, even right. as informal as I was. Sure. That's And then gradually, of course, I realized there was a tampon. Tampon? Oh, Tampax? Yeah. Uh, right, whatever you right. call that yeah, thing. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, sanitary <laughs> napkin. You yeah. know, so I peeled <laughs> right. it off. But it's a little humiliating. <laughs> yeah, you know? I remember those days of, of that, the slap, <laughs> the slap on the back. That's not a, <laughs> yep, that's not a good sign. Yeah. So uh, we're pretty... You know, far into the show, about a third of the way into the show, I, I want to oh, make yeah. sure you get some reading in. So, how, how about you read uh, some poetry for us? Okay, yeah, I guess I'll read some poems, and and then maybe later I'll do my running for president. Yeah, I wanted to talk material. about. Yeah, I wanted to talk about all that stuff. But yeah, let's get some. Maybe I'll read one of my French poems to begin with. Um, I sometimes write poems in French, and then I translate them. So you're going to hear the translation afterwards. Okay. So this is uh, called Une Vie. <laughs> I'm going to repeat that brilliant title. Une vie théière. Nice. Ma théière éternie. So the translation is Old Teapot. 
My teapot is tarnished. There we go. Yeah. That's what you call a poem. It is. I mean, you know, in my uh, definition of what is a poetry. So, I, I th- uh, yeah. Uh, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Did you always write poems that were short like that? No, I mean, I was thinking about that on my way here. I uh, used to write real normal poems and uh, page-long poems. I guess like everyone, I thought mm-hmm. a poem should be a page long. Right. Not too long, not too short, one right. page. Yeah. Mm. And then I got carpal tunnel syndrome, and I decided oh, to quit. I, I, I've had that number of times. Oh, really? Interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. From what? Uh, I think it started with the drums, and then I went to culinary school. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, right. Those are two good occupations for getting yes. carpal tunnel syndrome. Uh, yep. Yeah, I mean, I got it from typing, typing, typing and on a computer. Yeah I, yeah, I did some of that, too. So. Yeah, I mean, Those I was obsessively typing. Right, right. So then I, I got this carpal tunnel syndrome, and then I realized, okay, that's it. I'm going to stop being a writer. I'm just going to be like a real bum, mm-hmm. like my parents think I am. <laughs> I'm just going to lie in bed all morning. If you're going to be accused of it, you might as well do it, right? Yeah, I'm just going to yeah. stop, you know, being a workaholic bohemian. I'm going to lie in bed all morning. And then uh, have lunch with my friends. That, sounds that like was a good my life. plan. I like the idea of that. Yeah, it yeah. sounded, you know. Yeah. And because I worked in the evening. Right. You know, I worked part time oh, in okay. the evening. Right, right. So I had time, you know. Mm-hmm. So I started lying in bed my first day, quitting being a writer. <laughs> okay. And then I'm, you know, I'm lying in bed and I'm like, some little poem occurs to me. And then I'm like, hmm, I think I'm going to go say it into my tape recorder sure, since I can't not? type it out. Right, right. You know, and I'll, I'll find some amanuensis, you know, some willing servant to mm-hmm. type it up eventually. So I, so when you're lying in bed, just sitting there thinking, you tend to think of very short things. Anyway, that's my experience. Yeah, okay. So yeah, it, you know, my right. poems just ended up getting super short. Right. And then they sort of stayed that way. I got kind of interested in it as a form. You know, right. I. I sort of translate haiku. I don't translate is the wrong word. Retranslate haiku. Right. I'm very, I'm very interested in haiku. I'm very influenced by it. I'm, you know, a mystic meditator for many decades. I don't know what it is, but I'm kind of interested in like what's the least you can put in a poem, and it's still a poem. Right. And but there's meaning there. Like I, I was reading, uh, and I, li- I like the one on F train. Oh, yeah? I uh, don't remember. Uh, rising out of Brooklyn, the Statue of Liberty raising her hand like she has the right answer. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah, the Sun magazine recently reprinted right. that. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, I think it's a good... I kind of like that poem, too. Me and, too. I, and I and do... It's, it's, to me, that has meaning, especially now. <laughs> it's like I know. Right? With the yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a sort of a joke, like a lot of my poems. But they're jokes, but, I mean, they're humorous, but, then, but, they're, but there's something more than humor there. Yeah. I mean... I can't tell, but you know, of course, I write a lot of poems, thousands of poems. Right. You know, I today I wrote a lot of poems. I might even read some of my. Yeah, why don't you read poems. one that you wrote, t- wrote today? Well, I wonder if it'll I be the debut it. of it. <laughs> I don't know where I put my phone. Is the damn problem? I have to. I can't read it right now. We may have to take a break or whatever, however that works, because maybe I left it in my what's the word coat. Oh, okay. Yeah. You want me to take a look? Yeah, yeah. Why don't you read sure. something? I'll read some I'll more. Yeah. Look, yeah, yeah. See if it's in my. Uh, pocket. I think I'm going to read. <laughs> Maybe I'll read this one. It's called Bucket List. How I loved kindergarten. I wish I was in Elder Garden. This is like one of my poems about uh, being old. You know, kindergarten would be uh, 
for kinder, for children. Right. Elder garden is for the elders. And well, I lately I, turned uh, 70, so I'm like very interested in being old. Right. It's kind of like, it's my new uh, identity. Well, you know, I grapple with that a lot. <laughs> it's, yeah. You might as well be into it. <laughs> you got no choice. Yeah, I mean, you, yeah, I mean, it's something we all have to make right. a decision and about. And I like that. El, uh, elder, what did you say? Elder, elder garden. garden. Yeah, because yeah. it gives it a little nice, fresh kind of feeling. <laughs> it's a nice word it's, yeah, it's not, that it, I just invented right. for I, this I, poem. I love it. It's not. Oh, yeah. that's so sweet. Yeah, it's not. It's more positive thinking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Who like, like this idea, and it is sort of true. Like, my mother ended up in this nursing home. And it is a little bit like kindergarten, or yeah. maybe more like nursery school. <laughs> yeah, maybe, yeah. It's funny because she, my mother, years ago taught nursery school. Then she, her job for the Board of Ed was to teach kindergarten. But when she had dementia in the nursing home, she said that she was teaching n- nursery school. She thought that she was teaching nursery school every right. day. Right. And it was kind of a pun, inadvertent pun, yeah. nursing home, nursery right. school. But Elder Garden, it was a little bit like Elder Garden. Well, maybe I'll read. This is my latest poem. I wrote this this morning. Okay. It's called My Neighbor's Onions. My neighbor is cooking onions, and the smell is so strong, it became a poem. There we go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wait, I'll read this other one that I wrote okay. just before that because it's also on my new theme of being old. Mm-hmm. It's called Turning 70. I have too many shampoos and not enough hair. Exactly. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm staying in my dad's apartment for some reason. There's oh, okay. really a lot of shampoos there. Uh-huh. You still? Oh, sorry. The, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I'm like, I, I, just, I just now I own this apartment. Me and my sister. Wow. Uh, now I'm rich. Actually, you know, I should don't tell anyone. Right. You know? uh, well, we hopefully I think, I think like you just did. <laughs> muggers don't. No, I'm telling the people in this audience not to okay, tell anyone. Right, right. Because right. I think I can trust the people. These well, we podcast so. listeners. We hope so. Yeah, I mean, I'll just sort of read I one. Mean, it will be on YouTube, so you never know where. Oh yeah, YouTube. Then you'll definitely get uh, uh, mugged. <laughs> but uh, going on YouTube is like those guys that like rob a bank and then they go on YouTube and it's like, hey, we just robbed a bank. I know, right? This is so cool. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people people get caught doing stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, I know. It's like, and maybe uh, all the same thing's okay. going to happen to me. And they can dumb, trace me out. And how dumb are you, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like that. <laughs> can I just read one more yeah, poem? Sure. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, I just, I'm just took a bunch of poems that I've written at various times in my life and I... Uh, I just have a pile of them here, and this one suddenly I like. So there's a famous Zen proverb, before enlightenment, uh, chop wood and carry water. After enlightenment, chop wood and carry water. And this is a, what's the word? It's a poem about that. It's called My Zen. My Zen. Before enlightenment, chop wood and carry water. After enlightenment, Chop suey and Carrie Fisher. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> kind of a dumb joke, really. Yeah. <laughs> well, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, you got. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, since 90, 1997, you've been running for president. Is that true? Uh, no, nine, uh, 92. Oh, 92. I thought Yeah, I this is my ninth campaign. Right. So, yeah, I started in 92. My daughter was born in 91, born in uh, November of 91. Okay. So I was already running 
but you know, because you run, you you know, you start your campaign usually right. before. I think I was already running, but anyway, around that time, '92, running against Bob. No, who was against '92? Was against uh, Bill Clinton and George Bush the first, right? right. I think so. Right. I would say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My. <laughs> but I always tell people not to vote for me, and I'm telling you, if you're uh-huh. listening to this or watching this, you know, please don't vote for me. It's a waste of effort. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, you what's know what? the I'm point? Gonna, just for that, I'm going to vote for you. I know. People <laughs> I, People used to come up to me at parties all the time and say, hey, Sparrow, I voted for you. <laughs> and I'd be like, did you really vote for me? And they're like, well, I didn't really vote for you. But I have one friend, my friend Janet, who for some reason didn't like Obama, even though she's like a normal liberal. Right. But she voted for me just to kind of piss me off. Mm. And, you know, it's true. I shouldn't tell you this. But, you know, if you live in New York State, you can probably vote for whatever, a horse. doesn't matter because it's going to go to the Democrat. Uh, right. Yeah. Right. Mm. That's for sure. But I don't want. But still, the popular vote matters. You mm-hmm. know, the fact that, you know, uh, Trump lost by 7 million votes. You know, that's meaningful to me. Right. So every vote is is a vote. Sure. So you know why vote for me? I'm just, I'm not interested in w- winning. <laughs> I mean, winning once in a while. I like wake up in the morning like, oh my god, what if I win? Yeah, that, imagine. I can't imagine being. I'm, well, you know the thing is, you know, because Trump, I have like a whole whatever complex. I mean, I hate Trump. You know what I mean? I think right. he's going to destroy the country. Even if he loses, he might destroy the country, especially yes. if he loses. I mean, he's, they're starting in, what do you call it, civil war right now. They're sending these National Guard troops down to the border in Texas, and they're going to fight the national troops. They're going to actually refight the actual civil war, right. like today or something. That's really not I'm not following it closely, right. but I believe. Anyway, he's a dangerous guy. But, you know, one good thing about him being president, really, for people like me, in fact, I want to read my essay about Trump as hippie, as the first hippie president. Like, it just made you realize it's not that much work being president. I mean, you don't really have to do anything. Right. You know, you can just, like him, you can just watch TV all day. And play play golf. Yeah. And once in a while, you know, you got to, you get your advisors to tell you, you got to make a decision of some kind. Right. Very rarely, though. (laughs) It's not as much work as it looks. Okay. Yeah. So, but still, I don't want to do it. (laughs) It's not work is not my strength. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, at least you know your place. Yeah, exactly. Right. Running for president. Right. That's what I'm good at. I mean, I'm not that, not that good at it, but I mean, that's what I like doing. So do you give, do you give stump speeches and stuff? Or? Well, you <laughs> saw me, right? I, uh, right, right. At that uh, yeah. auto shrunken head. That right. was my... Uh, Announcement. That's the first time I announced right. I was running, right. ever. I mean, this this season, you know, this, right, right. this year. Right. And, uh, you know, I read from my journal. I keep a journal of right. uh, my presidential campaign thoughts. <laughs> and uh, so, so is this your second um, campaign speech? This one I'm giving now? I mean, being here? This year? Yeah, maybe so. Public, I mean, in public? I maybe because yeah. I keep forgetting you know I do readings once in a while like right. I did had this event last night in my apartment and I forgot to mention I was running for, I forget very often that I'm running right. for president well, how, about not, when, how about when your band played last night 
Right. I, yeah, I know. I didn't mention I was ready. Last uh, night, my band played in my dad's apartment. Oh, and it's oh, now my apartment. I, I didn't realize they played it in, in the Yeah, apartment. yeah, yeah. We're doing these house concerts. Oh, cool. It's our new uh, that sounds like method. Fun. Right. It was really interesting. I, I mean, that. so many people came. People on my mailing list that I've never seen, I have no idea they existed. Right. People from the Upper West Side came all the way oh, to yeah. Windsor Terrace. Wow. It was so weird. Right. I couldn't quite understand it. People seemed to enjoy it. You know, who can tell? Right. We're, so but, we're practically neighbors. I'm, yeah, oh, I'm yeah. South Slope. So. Oh, really? Oh, okay, yeah, you're right. We are close. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, I like to go to that stand-up comedy place called Something Lucy's. Huh. Mm, Young Lucy's. Oh, Young Ethel. Young Ethel's? Yeah. Is that what it is? It could be. They have. A I lot think of, you're right. They have a lot of events. I actually started doing a uh, variety show there with... Uh, really? Uh, yeah, I, I've done two every couple of months. The next one's in March, and it's a matinee on a Saturday. Wow. So I'll have a, I'll have a comedian do... Um, it's, it's Saturday, March 16th at 3. I have a comedian as the host, and then I have um, actually um, six poets going to do... They're from the, all the same bo- uh, book publisher, Pink Trees Press. Oh, I think I know do, them. They're, they're going to do two sets, and they're going to do like round robin. I see, and got it. I I'm hoping to have that. a classical brass quartet. But, Beautiful, but they haven't confirmed yet. And then some other music act and wow. a, and a storyteller. Yeah, well, we should plus promote my, that here. Yeah, plus my group. Uh, oh yeah, they might your group that I saw you yeah, right right when we both performed together exactly Otto's Shrunken Head. So I think you well, were that's what to a re- coincidence that we're both young Ethel's friend fans. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's it's just a few blocks from my house. It's perfect. <laughs> I know it's, it's a, a good great. Room. It's, yeah, a, it's a nice, yeah. It's, it's a, a cool it room. is a nice room yeah. and it's a. It's a strange and interesting bar with an interesting yeah. crowd, good crowd. Yeah. I've just went to a couple of stand-up comedy events there. That oh, I'll have I, to check it out. I'll yeah, yeah. Night, I think they're quite good, is. actually. Yeah. all right. I mean, you know, I don't care if it's Do you know, good. is it a regular night or is it just... You I think it's a regular... It. I think like Tuesdays and Wednesdays. They have yeah. a lot of things, you right. know. Yeah, yeah, You have to look on their whatever you yeah, call yeah, it yeah. website. Yeah, I have a lot of friends that play there. And people seem to like being there, so... It's like a dive bar in a kind of wannabe dive bar right. in Park Slope. Right. I hope that doesn't offend them if they're listening. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I like to yeah, I like going to places. And I go to Barbez sometimes. Yeah, Barbez has a lot of good music. Yeah. I haven't been there in a bit, but I've seen a lot of good shows there. Yeah, pretty much all like, the people that play there are real musicians. Right. Pretty and much everybody. It tends to be, you know, Music from different cultures from from around the world. So yeah, like, kind you know, of. Uh, what do they call it? The Slavic Soul Party. Right. It's kind of like what if the Bulgarians had invented jazz? That's right. kind of the the idea of the Barbas. And one of the owners uh, was in a group. Uh, I guess I don't know if they're still around. The uh, Chicha Libre. Mm. They do um, uh, that. Uh, Chicha, you know, there's a, it's a uh, music from uh, Peru. Oh yeah, I've seen them. Yeah. Yeah, they're that, great. Yeah, really. I love that. If I remember correctly, yeah. It's like, it's like um, 60s, um, you know, psychedelic. Uh, surf, right? Surf. Yeah. <laughs> mi- uh, mixed with, uh, you know, the, um, the cumbia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I know. Uh, well, so, ooh, something happened here. Uh-oh. Oh, we're okay. All, All right. right. Um, the card is full, but we're recording it on video, so I'll lose my backup, I think. Anyway. Um, Got you. So we're two-thirds of the way. Oh, How okay. How about we do, um, you want to read something else? Well, I think I'll read my uh, essay about Trump uh, oh, yeah, yeah. being so a that's hippie. That's what you were looking for when we got off the... Yeah, yeah, off, yeah. Uh, I was just like, I just noticed it today. I never finished writing it, like looking up all the citations, and I thought, oh, you can still read it. It makes as right. much sense as it's going to make. 
So I, uh, it has the provisional title, Hippie Prez. Prez meaning, you know, it's like an old-fashioned, uh, what's the word, uh, slang word for president. Right. And it's also a slang word, I mean, a, 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 a nickname for a great saxophone player. Right. <laughs> yeah. Last year, young. Yeah. Uh, hippie Prez. Trump was the first hippie president. He was born in 1940, like many counterculture heroes, Abby Hoffman, Jerry Rubin. That's the part I have to look up. That's probably not true at all. Okay. For his oh. generation, <laughs> ha! For his generation, the Vietnam War was the defining crisis. Like any good hippie, Trump dodged the draft, five deferments for bone splints, and the rest of his life, he had no respect for the military. He called the war dead suckers and losers. Trump was the first Republican president since Reagan not to start a war. And in fact, he engineered the end of our nation's longest and most pointless conflict in Afghanistan. Instead of conquest, Trump devotes himself to worldly pleasures. Many old hippies have grown quite rotund, like Donald. And drugs, though he publicly claims to eschew them, Persistent rumors link him to Adderall and cocaine. Was he the first successful presidential candidate to actually dance at his rallies? Quite possibly. Trump has no respect for authority of any kind. He calls the courts corrupt, the generals stupid, the media fake. Hippies like him hate the establishment. The most celebrated hippie trait is clearly visible in Trump laziness. While president, he had about six hours a day for personal time, which involved lots of TV watching. Trump's presidency, of course, culminated in the January 6th uprising with thousands of men, many of them bearded and with backpacks, and lots of them stoned on weed, breaking into the Capitol, shouting, F the pigs. I don't know if I'm allowed to curse here. Uh, well, yeah. It's okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Fuck the pigs. <laughs> Smeared feces on the walls and in general behaved like college students taking over the dean's office in 1968. Trump watched the whole thing on TV with delight. Trump tuned in, turned on, and dropped out. Does it really matter whether you drop out to a dome in Oregon or a penthouse on Fifth Avenue? You know, I never really thought of it that way. It's, it's, <laughs> it's very little. Uh, he is a bit of a hippie. Thought has been given to this, <laughs> yeah. but uh, you know, he's associated with the seventies. With um, uh, oh, look at that! Somebody likes it. With Studio Fifty Four, uh, you know, not not so well known in the sixties, but in a way, in a weird way, Studio Fifty Four and the whole disco culture, even though it seemed at the time very anti-hippie, and a bunch of hippies hated it. It embodied a lot of the hippie ethos still, oh, right. dancing, drugs, fun. And, uh, you know, it was even, disco was even more multicultural than the hippies. Right. You know, it, in a way, it was more hippie than the hippies. Right. <laughs> they are hippied the hippies. Yeah. <laughs> in terms of blacks and Latinos and everybody dancing together in a paradise. There's a great movie, uh, The Last Days of Disco by Whit Stillman. Hmm. That's kind of about the disco utopia. So um, one of the, the subjects you suggested or questions you suggested, I got to tell you, I, um, 
I'm a Beatles fan. I'm going to let it out there. But I really, oh, yeah. want, I really want to hear about why you're writing a book, um, how much you hate the Beatles. Um, and is it true that you hate the Beatles? Or are you just... Uh, well, I mean, uh, I maybe don't... You know, I was talking to some old friend of mine from college. We had a sort of college reunion at the Outer Banks of North Carolina, a very okay. bourgeois little spot. And uh, beautiful, though. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, my friend Bink said to me, do you hate the Beatles? And I said, well, I don't know if actually, now that you mention it, I don't know if they actually despise the people that are the Beatles, but right. I do hate their music. Okay. It's not so much that I hate their music, it's that I'm allergic to their music. <laughs> like, Well, you break out in hives or something? I mean, kind of. Uh-huh. I just get like, I, I, what's the word? <laughs> Nauseated? Uh, terrified? Uh-huh. I, I, just, uh-huh. I just can't handle it. It's did like, you, But did you hate them when, when they were out? No, no. I mean, you were, know, I'm you that age. Of course. I yeah. love them. I, okay. Everybody loved them, and right. I love them. I, right. And there was a period, I think, where everybody had to choose sides between right. the Beatles and the Rolling Stones. Right, right. And, well, uh, they set it up that way, too. Oh, maybe. Yeah, that's a good they point. They kind of did. I mean, the Rolling Stones decided to be the tough-looking band. Yeah, the anti-Beatles. Because actually, the Beatles were tougher than the Stones. I know. There's a book. <laughs> called, I think it's called Beatles versus Stones. No, it actually get, influenced me a lot in I this book. I think the Beatles would have kicked their ass if there was a fight. But. Yeah, it, sa- <laughs> it said in this book something like, uh, you know, the uh, the Beatles were the sweet boys next door. The Stones were the tough, rugged, dangerous criminals. Right. And the truth is almost exactly the opposite. Right. That the, uh, you know, the... The Stones were like these guys you see from Westchester walking around with their, you know, Muddy Waters albums under their uh, uh, Are there arms. actually guys in Westchester with Muddy Waters albums still? I mean, I don't know that there is. <laughs> no, probably guess, there are, actually. No, I, I guess I, I get you know, what you're saying, kind of suburban, you know, time. But also, thing. like, you know, because of styles mm-hmm. turn in cycles, you know, so right. we've probably been through three sure. cycles of it, yeah. and it might be there back might be, now. Yeah, of course. You know, that, right. and also the, the blues music is so great but yeah. that somebody is going to like it. Right. You know, even right. if you're an indie rock person, right. if you can hear music, you're going right. to say Muddy Waters is the most extraordinary musician yeah. of the 20th century. Or Howlin' Wolf. Yeah, these, uh, you know, yeah. uh, Little Walter. Yeah. Um, Elmore James, all that stuff. Yeah, so the the Stones were like these, you know, middle class guys that were fascinated by this, uh, you know, great music and decided to imitate it. Whereas the Beatles were, you know, more or less from a pretty tough working class place. Mm-hmm. You know, a place like maybe Milwaukee or Buffalo, New right. York, you know, right, right. like a place where you don't expect a band to come out of that right. you've ever going to hear right. of. Exactly. And they're, you know, like Paul McCartney didn't have indoor plumbing till he was like 10, I right. think. You oh, know, these wow. guys were, yeah. you know, things right. were pretty primitive over right. there in England at that time. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, I just, I love them. I always loved them. And at some point, I just can't stand their music. Like, I, I turn it on. Is it because it's just, um, it's, I mean, it's still played today. I have... I work with somebody in their twenty people in their twenties that lo- love the Beatles, but is it too? Yeah. Is it just too much all over the years? It's just for you, like it's just you heard too much of it, or too. I much? mean, I think that might well be part. That's one yeah. of my theory. I mean, actually, this book, you know, it's sort of a, you know, biography or whatever history of the Beatles, and it's also sort of a self exploration. Like, why do these 
music drive me insane. Why right. can't I handle it? And <laughs> so this you know, is actually happening. This is a, a book that's coming. Oh out. yeah, I mean, well, whether it's really, I mean, it's supposedly coming out. Like the, uh, you know, I live in Phoenicia, New York, and the nearest, you know, famous town is Woodstock, New York. Right. And the uh, bookstore in Woodstock just started a publishing company. Oh. And. Uh, you know, I said to them, really as a joke, right. you know, you should publish my book about how much I hate the Beatles. Right. Like, probably Woodstock is the one town that has the highest percentage of people in the world that love the Beatles. Oh, and, right? uh, and the Grateful Dead, probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I think the yeah. dead are kind of second to the Beatles. Though. Well, yeah. Still. I mean, in that, right. you know, even there. Right. But, uh, and I'm kind of a deadhead. I consider right. myself a deadhead. Okay. But, uh but, uh, but uh, you know, I so sent them the manuscript, and they said, yeah, we're going to publish it. Wow. I mean, whether it's really going to happen, I mean, I, okay. it seems to be going kind of slowly, but uh, they... <laughs> well, what's the rush? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I like to, you know, wait for my next triumph, right. put it off, but I think it's going to happen. It seems to happen. Right, I mean, well, it's a, you know, and I worked very hard on this book for 15 years. I read lots of books oh, about right? the Beatles. So you're just, this is not just like... This is uh, sort of my like yeah. magnum opus. Wow. Yeah, I mean, my okay. wife will not let me say a word about the Beatles. Uh -huh. You know, she's just sick of me. And I don't talk <laughs> about it that much. But right, of right. course, she loves the Beatles like right. any normal person. <laughs> but I mean, there was one, I think I put this in the book, there's like a website, no, um, a YouTube video, seven seconds of every Beatles song. And so normally when I listen to a Beatles song, like right at the beginning, you know, if I listen to Please Please Me, like, right. you know, right at the beginning, I'll get this kind of rush of nostalgia uh -huh. right. that lasts about three seconds. It's funny, you, know? you, said, you said seven seconds. I just saw, you know who Jack White is? Yeah. Yeah, the White Stripes. Uh -huh. He can, he can um, guess what a Beatles song is by one sec the first second of the song. Wow. And they tested him and he got them all right. That's amazing. Yeah. Really interesting. So I, I started listening and thought, I can handle seven seconds. Right. And then I listened. After about three, I couldn't deal with it. Seven right. seconds is too many seconds. For I wonder me. if the punk band uh, Seven Seconds is called that. Because <laughs> the, <laughs> there's a, there was a punk band. Oh, yeah. I never 80s, heard of that. In the 80s, yeah. How, so I usually read one of mine. Oh, great. Uh, and um, I wrote this the other night. After seeing a uh, documentary about Shane McGowan, you know the oh, yeah I know yeah. from the Pogues yeah punk poet of Tipperary is called. He lived the way he wanted, no fucks given. What teeth he still had left would bite your arse on a bet. Give him a pint and a bottle of whiskey and reminisce, reminisce of days of youth that went by in a blur. Singing old singing songs of old Ireland with the pounding of a drum and the penny whistle lovingly calling answers, laden graves from famine and wars. Yearning for the green hills of Tipperary, sunlit for miles, instead stumbling home in the rat-infested rat -infested streets of London, where paddies get beaten for just being them. This old punk has seen it all. His wit had outlasted his last step. He just don't call him a poet. He just wanted to write songs that carried on a tradition with more to it than credit given in a country torn apart from north to south by religion and a neighbor that poked the bear till mothers laid sons to rest on both sides of a conflict that went on for far too long. Wow. That's for Shane McGowan. Nice long sentence. <laughs> it's yeah, kind of like a long sentence. Yeah. It was a good documentary, though. Oh, really? Oh, you yes, know, I think I heard about it. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny. He was, um, he got, he, 
he decided to do the Pogues after seeing the Sex Pistols. And there's actually a video of the Sex Pistols playing with him in the front, like the front row. <laughs> oh, <laughs> he was, yeah? He was a kid, too. He was a teenager, whatever. Huh. I don't know how old That's he was. really interesting. So they have a footage of him at a, a Sex Pistols concert. Yeah, I just recently, I didn't bring it with me, but I just rewrote uh, God Save the Queen, the uh, Sex Pistols song, because... Um, there's a king now, you know. It's occurred to me someone should rewrite it because right, you, you gotta, know there's yeah. no more queen. Right. So uh, yeah, I was I lately watching the Sex Pistols. Yeah, I'm kind of a Sex Pistols fan. I mean, I seem to be kind of. I mean, I my opinion about myself is quite possibly what I really am as a, a straight edge punk. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Because I'm not, I'm sick of a lot of uh, classic rock, uh-huh. but I never seem to get really sick of punk. I don't listen to it much, but when I listen right. to it, I always kind of like it. And favorite punk band? Wow. Favorite punk? Well, I was kind of deeply in love with early uh, Blondie. Oh, okay. <laughs> I went through a period maybe seven years ago of watching like, you know, be- almost before their first album, you know, like really, really early, but the very beginning of Blondie. Right. Ex-Offender. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, uh, something on the telephone. Mm-hmm. Hang in right, on the right, telephone. telephone. Those right, kind right. of early songs. Which was, and a, which was a cover. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I forgot who did the original. It was an older song. Huh. Like the tide is high was a regular, right, yeah. but that's later. That's their yeah. more decadent Popular period. Stuff. Yeah, the pop stuff. The uh, and then mm. early Clash. I right. went through an early Clash period. I saw the Clash and Sam and Dave open for them. How's that? Wow. <laughs> yeah, those were the good old days. Hey, like, so, yeah, when, when bands put that kind of stuff together. You know, like, I know when people had a sort of social conscience. Yeah. But I saw when I saw the Rolling Stones in 1972, they had uh, Stevie Wonder open for them. Wow. And wow. Uh, People in the audience, these assholes, you know, from Long Island. Right. <laughs> I like to think of them as being, you know, it's right. like a New York City thing. Like every right. asshole is at it? Madison Square Garden's <laughs> got to be from, from Long Island. Yeah, well. You know, there, we don't want is, to admit that they're from Queens. Well, there is a lot of that. I grew up on Long Island, I know. <laughs> <laughs> and these guys were, were plenty just. plenty of assholes where I lived. <laughs> yeah. And they were just, what's Not the word? Myself, though. They were, uh, you know, heckling Stevie Wonder, like shouting, Could you Stone, that? Stones, right, right, you know? Right. It's and like Stevie Wonder is like whatever, 300 times better than the oh, Rolling Stones. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Stones are a great, basically a great bar band is really what they are. Yeah. I mean, I'm interested in I'm interested in the Stones, and I'm watching their. Have you seen the weird videos of their new album? Yeah, (laughs) yeah. They're. I mean, they're kind of sexy, (laughs) if nothing else. I mean, you know, you got to give them credit. You know, they're 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 still going. I I know it's not a bad album. No, I mean, I have to admit. Yeah. And I'm against, you know, these rock dinosaurs, even though I sort of am one. Wow. But uh, the. but that new album is interesting. Right. It so- has something. Uh, Paul McCartney playing bass on this kind of punk song. Right. <laughs> it's funny, at least. <laughs> um, so, um, anything you want to read before we go? Yeah, yeah, I want to sing one of my songs. I yeah. think I have, these songs are fairly short. This is a song that my band Peg does, and maybe I have time to do a little bit of a tonette solo. Um, it's called Jump on Your Money. Jump on Your Money. It's kind of an anarchist anthem, maybe. Okay. Uh, kind of a bluegrass song, but also kind of a punk song. Jump on Your Money. 
I took out my money, put it on the ground, I put on some music, and I jumped up and down. Jump on my money, jump on my money, jump on my money all afternoon. Jump on my money, jump on my money, jump on my money all afternoon. Then I took my money off of the ground, put it back in my wallet, and went into town. Take out your money, put it on the floor. Jump on up and down, that's what money's for. Jump on your money, jump on your money, jump on your money all afternoon. I'm going to read, a, sing my uh, tornadoes. Don't be afraid, no one can tell. They won't see footprints on your dollar bills. Jump on George Washington, jump on Jefferson. Jump on Ben Franklin and James Madison. Jump on your money, jump on your money, jump on your money all afternoon. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, So anything you want to promote before you uh, Oh, God, yeah, if only I had whatever. Well... (laughs) I mean, uh, you know, these people, this real publishing company, I me- you mentioned it already in my uh, bio, but, uh, you know, they gave me sort of a real contract and, you know, they printed a lot of these books and nobody bought them. So, and it's a pretty good book, I think. It's called Small Happiness and Other Epiphanies. It's kind of my self-help, collected self-help writings, uh, and it's published by Monkfish. Like a fish that's also a monk. Right. Uh, small happiness and other epiphanies. I, I like monkfish. Oh, oh, you know it? There is a monkfish. Oh, you mean actually book. to eat? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm such a vegetarian. I didn't even oh, know okay. you could eat a monkfish. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't know. Uh, Truffles is my band. We never seem to, uh, you know, have any of our videos on YouTube, but I'm trying to figure out how to do that. But, you got to uh, work on it. But, you know, all you need is an iPhone and upload it to YouTube. <laughs> and and uh, I know. And uh, let's see. Uh, here's my email. Uh, warapps44 at gmail.com. Warapps is Sparrow backwards. All right. So you, and then you can get on my email list and you know about all my uh, tempestuous uh, crises that I'm precipitating. <laughs> All right. Well, um, there comes a theme by my cohort in crime, Fred Argenziano. It means uh, storytelling on Orchard Street is um, going to be signing off. I really would like to thank my uh, fascinating guest, oh, thank you so Sparrow, much. <laughs> uh, coming all the way from the uh, trailer in uh, Phoenicia. <laughs> Is your wife's name really Violet Snow? I mean, it's her fake name. You know, oh, okay. we're like we're name. like on the witness protection program. You know, we both live with fake names oh. underground, off the grid. I love it. But you know, we're not that serious criminals. We're just uh, people with uh, fake names. Right. <laughs> She's a writer. You can read her fabulous book, "To March or to Marry." There we go. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm glad I brought it up. You got you got a little plug in. There I for know. Her. So um, once again, thank you, Sparrow. You've been listening to Storytelling on Orchard Street, which is recorded in the podcast studios at P&T Knitwear Bookstore at 180 Orchard Street. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, Thank you, folks, and uh, be well. Yes.